0: 13 months ago, in September of last year, I preached on this same passage, and I introduced to you what would be our theme for 2019 and would likely inform our theme for 2020 of Better Together. And I I went back this week and listened to my sermon from September, which is not a practice I enjoy doing. Uh, No one likes to listen to themselves. And um, I, I said something in the sermon 13 months ago. I said, today I'm just going to dip my toe in this because you'll hear more of it. And, and we have gone into it, through woven into so many messages in the last 13 months, but I've been looking forward to this day to go a little deeper into it. This is a turning point in the book of Ephesians. Uh, if you've been a part of this whole series with this, then you know the first three chapters are are just a thick, deep theological treatise on the gospel. Uh, you could spend an, an eternity, I feel, studying the first three chapters. And that's really significantly important to not forget today. Because if you look at the very first words of chapter 4, I'm not going to read the whole passage yet, I just wanted to point this out. I, therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That is a heavy statement. I therefore, therefore, meaning the first three chapters, in which we see Paul so passionately communicate the gospel that he uses superlative on top of superlative the longest run-on sentences that he's ever written that we have recorded he interrupts himself in the midst of prayer in chapter three just to go a little deeper into theology so you don't miss what he's got to say In all of that where he's so deeply writ- like just spells out the riches the immeasurable riches of the gospel And the fact that we are redeemed, we are adopted, we are forgiven, we are saved by Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to the earth to take on our sin. As we were dead in our trespasses, but God was rich in mercy. The the, you were, but now, so that, parts of Ephesians 1 through 3. That I couldn't help but when we were singing that last song, a variation of "Amazing Grace," to get emotional and just thinking about what God has done for me. If you ever sit back and and recognize the grace that God has given you, it's it's nothing to balk at. I I so desperately needed a savior and i so desperately did not deserve what he gave me like when you when you get see here's why that's so important because the the switch we see in the book of ephesians here is it's going to start becoming more and more practical to everyday life so today it'll be about the church and it's going to continue to transition there into family and marriage and work and all these things and here's the real temptation we have is to go to God only to fix today's problems and just fix the practical just give me some practical advice just let me know what I'm supposed to do like how how do I do this without messing this up and we would we would be doing everyone in our lives a disservice to skip the depths of chapters 1 through 3 and jump right into the practical counsel that Paul, you can't miss the therefore here. Right, so we we could go, because it talks about how to grow a church here. Man, love to grow a church. Man, I want to tell you as a pastor, uh, you know, everybody gets spam emailed and mails. Like, I I get more spam emails and mailers in the mail and phone calls about six ways to grow your church. And uh, here, if you'll just do, if you'll just sign up for our marketing program, your church will double in attendance. If you'll, if you'll just do this thing, then, then it'll, it'll grow. And, and, and we, could, we could really make a huge mistake with today's passage and go, well, here's like the seven steps to grow your church. Well, you can't miss step one, hidden there in the therefore. Therefore. Through three, three chapters that are just a condensed, I mean, concise little glimpse into the depths of the gospel. What we've got to recognize is that the answer to growing a church, the answer to a strong marriage, the answer to a strong work relationship, the answer to conflict resolution, the answer to managing your finances, the answer to all the practical questions that you have are built in the gospel. Now, you can find other answers. Trust me. There are no shortage of people wanting to give you answers to the many questions that you have in your life. But I don't know if you're like me. When I read a passage like this, I get conflicting emotions. One, I get excited because I think, this is such a, what we're going to read today, such a phenomenal i mean this amazing beautiful picture of what the bride of christ can be but at the same time i'm conflicted because it's a reminder of what the bride of christ has not yet fulfilled i don't just mean redemption church although redemption church is not excluded from that admonition i mean the bride of christ in the world the bride of christ in jacksonville florida the bride of christ in the united states I see what it could be. And here's here's why it's so significant to me. You don't have to look far to see just how broken and messed up this world is. You don't have to turn on the news for very long to see how broken and messed up this world is. You don't have to look beyond your own mirror to see how much we need what this passage talks about. Listen, we need this. This is the age-old practical answers for what we need i'm i'm going to go so far to say today's passage if applied correctly would be the answer to all the needs that everyone in the world ask so with that stand with me let's see what paul has for us today ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 16 And saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow. So that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, I am overwhelmed at the task at hand today. This is a passage I've been meditating on for a long time, God, and I, I see so much of your heart, your character, and your plan here. And to be honest, Lord, I, I see where I get in, I get in your way so much you for this morning Lord if you would move me out of the way use this broken vessel I'm, I'm asking you to supernaturally use your word to impact and transform the minds and hearts of those who hear this so that we could at Redemption Church God I'm begging you that we could we could begin to see this really, really play out the way you've got this written. Lord, for your church, your bride, all across this city, so many churches are struggling just to stay afloat. And Lord, they they get those same emails and mailings and phone calls and and they grasp and, and, and try to cling to whatever answer they can get. And Lord, I, I pray that we would see that you are truly the answer, that this passage applied would change the world, or that we wouldn't just intellectually acknowledge that, but backed up by all the things in chapters 1 through 3 that build the I therefore and four one would be our foundation, and we would be so rocked and shaken by your gospel that it would change the way we do everything or that we would repent of worthless idols consumeristic personal preference driven approach to church or that we Be your body. That we would mature. Into you. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. This idea. Of better together. Is truly. Potentially world changing. Not. Not my idea. Of better together. This Ephesians 4 one through 16 idea of better together would rightly applied would change your life and the life of everyone around you that that loneliness that you often feel those that isolation that I, i don't know if i could even talk to anybody about what's going on in my mind or heart right now that habitual sin that you hide and don't let anyone know about those struggles in your family or your life, those temptations that beat you up constantly, the negative self-talk that you throw at yourself on a regular basis, all of those things could be defeated by this passage rightly applied. The rising crime rate and the lowing educational effectiveness all could be defeated and declared victorious by Jesus Christ if implemented through the body of Christ. See, Christ tells us, and I've told you this so many times in Colossians 1 that he's reconciling all that brokenness back to him. But he tells us in the scriptures that, that the church is how that happens. In our passage last week, it said that the church is the way that God makes known his manifold wisdom. So so God has chosen in his infinite wisdom, wisdom for reasons I don't know that I'll ever fully understand this side of glory to let us be the way that he does that. And it's like we it's like we're sitting on the most powerful antidote to everything broken in the world. And we find every reason not to use it, not to apply it deeply in our own lives, much less as a body. And that's what I what I want you to see today is the gospel rightly applied to your life cannot be done in just your life it's impossible like i need you to get this like it is impossible for you to rightfully apply the gospel to your life in isolation you cannot grow spiritually into who god has called you to be on your own. You cannot reconcile this world back to Jesus the way he's called you to on your own. It can't happen. I cannot grow this church and lead it to the way that God has called it to be on my own. And praise God, he has not left us alone. We have each other. We have the body. But listen, it may not go smoothly. Likely it won't. As a matter of fact, Jesus very clearly lets us know that it's just going to get difficult. But that's not the reason to stop. That's actually the reason to push through. That's the reason to do it. What does Paul say? I therefore, and that's backing up this three chapters of deep theological treatise, a prisoner for the Lord. So when Paul talks about joy and glory and and worship and all the great benefits of being a child of God. He he talks about those things writing from prison. And he's not telling you, I'm a prisoner, oh woe is me. He's telling you, I'm in prison, and it's amazing. It's incredible to be a child of God, even in prison. So you know what that means in, in the prison of your own mind in the prison of your own debt in the prison of your own bad marriage in the prison of your addictions in the prison of your financial woes in the prison of whatever you've got going on you can find great joy and victory in the Lord if it's rightly applied urge you this prisoner urges you begs you, implores you, exhorts you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I I had trouble thinking of a way to illustrate this, and so I came up with a really dorky way. My favorite Disney movie is Aladdin. I don't know about you, but I love the story of Aladdin. Aladdin. And I, 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 I was pleased with the remake. I, I prefer the original. Uh, but it was it's a, it's a fun story, right? And, and there's a part of it that I thought of when I was reading this passage. Jasmine is stuck as a prisoner within her own palace. And so she puts on, like, normal people clothes, and, and she goes out into the marketplace, but she has no idea even how, like, the marketplace works, right? So, like just like hands an apple to a kid without paying for it and then she's almost arrested because you can't just grab an apple and eat it right you got to pay for it but she didn't bring any money with her and so then aladdin sees this cute girl in trouble and he thinks i know how to get out of trouble and so he swoops in and he gets her but he doesn't want to admit to her that he's a pauper and that he's poor and so when she goes back to the palace and he gets this magical power from a genie if i'm spoiler alerting you look you had decades to figure this out um, And and so he ends up back at the palace, and he's, like, pretending to to be a prince. Prince Ali, right? And and so it's this huge entrance, and it's, I mean, it's, like, massive. And and even even the genie keeps telling him, like, at some point, you're going to have to, like, tell her the truth about who you are. And so I thought about it in both ways here, that Jasmine had all the power, influence, and money of being a princess. Well, she pretended like she was a pauper. Here's what we've got to get, church. Look, it's so easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to get discouraged about our own life. It's easy to get discouraged about church. It's easy to get discouraged about all sorts of things. You can, you can look around here and you can think, man, it's just, you know, there's not a ton of people here. I wish our church would, would grow more. Man, there's so many seats here. That's why I tell you all, scoot up, but you don't do it. But then you could also go, but you know what? Five years ago, this church was calculating a timeline when they would close the doors. And then you look and you see, we've got a bunch of kids across the hallway and we're seeing people get saved and we're seeing people get discipled. It's easy to get discouraged, but here's, listen to me. We don't, we don't have to be super cool. We don't have, we don't, we don't have to, to there, there's no gimmick. There's no, there's no way to make us cool enough to grow. There's no way to do those things. Here's here's what I want to tell you what's so amazing that we've got to get, church. We have the resurrected Christ and His Word. Amen? That's all we need, yet we walk around so often like paupers in our own lives discouraged by the circumstances that we find ourselves in, forgetting that we're sons and daughters of the King. This is why you've got to know chapters 1 through 3 before you get to chapter 4 because you got to you, you, listen, you've got to be blown away by the gospel in order to apply it if you think you're wielding some little dagger and don't realize you've got the, the sword of God you won't realize what you can do but then on the other hand many of us are like Aladdin and we want to pretend like we've got more than we've got so many people in the world are doing everything they can to put on a front that they've got things together if if it's the last thing I do I I, I will make this church a place where we don't play those games because they don't get us anywhere spiritually But don't don't run to the same well that the world runs to. Because that well runs dry quick. You drink it and you leave and you're thirsty again. Jesus is the living water that when you drink of him, you will never thirst again. Just keep going back to Jesus. Don't get distracted by this world and deceived that you've got to have all the things this world says you have to have. We don't ha- We've got everything we need right here to change the world and the resurrected Christ, the Holy Spirit that resides within us and the Word of God to lead us. So, how do we do that? Well, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, a few things here. So humility, at the time that Paul writes this, is not a uh, attribute that people would applaud. And the culture in which Paul writes this, so today you say someone's humble and you're saying something nice about them, right? Oh, he's so humble oh, that probably means he's a nice guy. He's not, he doesn't think too highly of himself. He'll probably treat you well. He'll consider you maybe above himself in a good way. But back then, to be humble meant to be weak. And so for Paul to call out humility here, he's not just listing like random good attributes. Uh, You know, just be a nice person. No, he hand-selected, guided by the Holy Spirit, each of these words. Humility means not thinking more of yourself than you should. It's not beating yourself up. In Romans 12, it says, take a sober assessment of yourself. Meaning you don't think too high of yourself and you also don't beat yourself up and say things that aren't true. Listen to me. God gifted you and you're to use those gifts and understand you've got that gift for him. Don't downplay your gift. Don't boast about yourself. Boast about Christ. He... he, He has a plan for you to be a part of this whole thing. And your part, listen to me, is not in that pew. Your part has something to do with after we're done. And you leave that pew and you live out what God's called you to do. In humility, in gentleness, or it may be translated in your Bible, meekness gentleness meekness is not um weakness it's not the word he put i think maybe the best definition i've heard is um having the wisdom and humility to know when to be angry and when not to what do you mean i mean like jesus when beaten and mocked and accused wrongly kept his mouth shut not because he was weak, but because he was that strong. But when people started to pervert the house of God and make it a place to make money and take advantage of those coming in from other countries by exchanging money in ways that were of exorbitant profits for themselves, he built a whip, through some tables, and kicked some people out. Now, There's not likely going to come a situation in which you will stand so righteous that you get to make a whip, throw some tables, and kick people out of places. But it does mean that there will likely be opportunities given to you in your life which you are to stand with strength and boldness for truth and for God's glory in the face of opposition. And not have weakness and not be... A a doormat that just gets run over. That is not what meekness means. Meekness means you've got the strength to stand still and quiet when that's what's wise and to stand up and speak out when that's what's necessary. Patience. In our values as a church, we encourage you to love Christ's bride, his church, with passion and with patience. I think it's illustrated well in the next phrase that Paul writes, and I'll be honest, I'm really grateful that he writes this because so much of this has been so optimistic and flowery language. But he's going to drop this here that you need to hear. The next instruction for us to do this is to bear with one another in love. So here's what that means as we practice Ephesians chapter 4 and try to become more and more mature in the body of Christ as a, as a unit, as one, I and slash or someone else in this church are going to really rub you the wrong way. I mean, let's just be honest. If we really do life together, it's going to get annoying. Like, there, if I could just handpick the people i do like this is what we try to do all the time isn't it? like i don't want to go to that small group because i don't really like those people i don't want to go to that church because i like the music and the lights at that church better or i like the preaching at that church better i don't want to go and, and and give my life to those people because to be honest they're kind of selfish and annoying to which i think christ would answer that's exactly why i asked you to go there And yeah, they're going to rub you the wrong way. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, where it says that we are to stir one another up to good works, the word stir there could be translated almost to, like, annoy one another, like rub up against, like, my wife calls them sandpaper people. I'm not going to tell you whether you're a sandpaper people or not. Don't ask. But, but, But sandpaper people are those people that, like, Maybe it's not the most like joy-giving thing when when you're hanging out with them, but God uses that relationship to grow you. Maybe uses it because you have to actually practice like putting someone else's interest above your own. Maybe you're saying pray for person as your spouse. That's okay. Keep submitting to the Lord, both of you, and it'll turn out good. Bearing with one another. eager to maintain now in the uh Christian Standard Bible CSB I like the translation there here better where it says uh make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace make every effort to keep to maintain so in other words chapters 1 through 3 establish theologically that we have a unity within the body, right? You remember the whole, there, there is, like, there's no racial division, there's no Jew and Gentile, like, that, that dividing wall of hostility has been broken down and, and brought into unity. And, and so there's a, there's a theological truth in chapters 1 through 3 that Paul is now arguing for you to maintain that theological truth in practice. Now, in theologically, it is true that I am saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that when I stand before God in judgment, I will be declared blameless and righteous and holy. If you've spent more than five minutes with me, you know I am not blameless, nor righteous, nor holy within myself. There's a theological truth I'm still trying to To live out in practice. You follow me? In that same way as the church. Christ says look because of my blood. The price that I paid. You are unified church. Now live that. You are redeemed. You are adopted. You are forgiven. You are declared righteous. You are declared holy. You are declared God's children. Now walk. Walk in a manner worthy of this calling of which you have been called. You ever known anyone with a very unique walk? Maybe they got a little swagger to their walk. Maybe they got a limp to their walk. One of my best friends in high school, his father had polio as a child and almost lost one of his legs. He would come check us out of school during the day and tell the administrators it was an emergency, but our golf clubs were in the back of his truck, and we would go walk a golf course together, and you could always see his walk with that one messed up leg, and you always knew if I were to see him walking down the street today, I would know it was him. How is your walk? The Bible, when it says walk, it means your life, the way you live it. Would would it be characterized in humility and gentleness and meekness, patience? Do do you bear with one another in love? Not just just tolerate one another. Do you bear with one another in love? Are, Are you even giving your life fully into the body? Or are you handpicking the parts that you like about body life. Better together takes work. Better together is biblical. Look at verses 4 through 6. There's a sevenfold unity here, kind of bringing us back to that theological foundation. When the Bible does something seven times, it's letting you know that it's complete and perfect. There is one body one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all there's one body of christ there's one spirit the same holy spirit so so this this, this is stuff that blows my mind I've always loved things that somehow remain constant. Because the world changes so much, right? Um, If you want to sit down with Audrey and I and hear our romantic love story of how we became the perfect couple. uh, There was one crucial night where we were looking at the stars together. And I let her know something that I've always found fascinating to this day. I love to look at the stars. And the reason I love to look at the stars, not just because they're beautiful, they are beautiful and they're God's creation, but it it blows my mind that I'm looking at, because of the way light years work, right? I mean, you studied that, hopefully, billions of light years. I'm looking at the same stars that Adam and Eve looked at. I'm looking at the same stars that Noah looked at when he was on the ark. Now, I'm sure he got to see a lot more than I do looking at the same stars that Abraham looked at when God said your offspring will be greater than the stars in the heavens I'm looking at the same stars that Jesus looked at when he walked on this earth and I'm looking at the same stars that my great-grandchildren will look at one day that kind of stuff fascinates me well you have the whole if you're a child of God You have the same Holy Spirit in you that was in the apostles. The same Holy Spirit that was in Paul and Peter when so many fascinating and amazing things happened in the book of Acts. The same Holy Spirit that was in Stephen as he almost glowed as he preached a phenomenal incredible sermon as he was being pelted by stones as the first martyr killed for the christian faith the same holy spirit that jesus told the disciples in acts chapter one just wait before you go on mission because i'm sending one that it'll be greater for me to leave and send this holy spirit to you than for me to stay and like tongues of fire the holy spirit drops on the apostles and pentecost breaks out one of the most amazing the most amazing revival of all of history the same holy spirit with the same power the same ability the same potential resides in you if you're a child of god and yet we often feel so powerless part of it's because we try to do things in isolation one hope the hope of heaven is such a driving force for believers that in the midst of all the brokenness in this world, for me at least, I can put up with it often by reminding myself that one day I'll stand an eternity in glory. When things fall apart here and I go through miserable seasons of life, I I remember a season of life in college when I had three family members and a close friend die. All in a short amount of time, four major deaths in my life all at once. And the only hope I had was that one day I would get to go be in glory. And listen to me, my hope isn't that I'd get to see them again. I think I'll be so distracted by the glory of Jesus, I won't even care who's standing around me. My, my hope, my hope is Jesus. My hope is to be in heaven with him. Listen, if you're not in love with Jesus, heaven's not going to be a lot of fun. The gold streets and the mansions and all those things that we see in Revelation I think are, 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 are just like John just didn't know how to put into words how phenomenal everything was and when it glows in the light of Jesus Christ it's like everything is amazing. Here's what I think. I, my theory, I might be wrong, my theory is not even that those things are so amazing although they are, but they look so amazing in the light of Jesus because it tells us we won't even need a sun that the glory of Jesus Christ will shine so bright that it's all the light we'll ever need and so you know how photographers make everything look great with lighting like a good photographer has good lighting the lighting of jesus christ makes everything look unbelievably glorious so if you're not in love with the glory of jesus christ heaven will probably not be a great place for you because the greatest thing about it is jesus one hope because of one lord we have one faith there is an exclusivity to the doctrine of this thing if you look at chapters one through three he doesn't just say make your way to god however you want he doesn't just say try your best to be a good person and maybe it'll all work out in the end hopefully your good will outweigh your bad no he goes far deeper than that and it's rich and it's beautiful and it's glorious but it is exclusive There is one path. There is one way. There is one door. And there is one mediator, the man, Jesus Christ. Your hope, your faith, your purpose, your identity are all tied into that one thing. And it's in that one thing we can be unified as a church. One baptism. This is your cultural identifier this is what distinguishes there is no more jew there is no more greek there is no more slave there is no more man there is no more woman that the cultural identifier you now have is not the sentences that used to follow your name but it is now baptized into the family a child of god your identity once you become Adopted, redeemed is no longer anything else but a child of God. One God, one Father, our Creator and our Redeemer better together is a biblical concept. Better together is a gift given to us through the victory of Jesus Christ. Now this passage is a much debated passage. It's weird to try to interpret it but if you do your work as we have talked about on Wednesday nights in observation and then interpretation and then application I think you'll find likely you'll come to the same conclusion as me maybe you won't, I'm not saying I'm that smart, I'm saying I think the text shows us what he's talking about here verses 7 through 10 but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This is a quote of sorts. Of psalm chapter 68 verse 18 the reason i say of sorts if you go back and read that passage in the psalm one read in context the whole psalm if you read that psalm psalm 68 it's about victorious kings and and the victory of god as king and and the 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 theme here's where it's different in psalm 68 18 instead of it saying and he gave gifts it'll say and he received gifts now here's why i think that's significant Because look at what Paul writes here. He says in verse 7, But the grace was given to each one of us, given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So, Psalm 68, 18 shows us that a king, after victory, receives the spoils of war. Victory equals gifts. But we see that our king, when he defeats death, he has victory over death he gives gifts to his own body and we see that Christ has gifted us and not just spiritual gifts, he's gifted us with leaders keep reading, it was on the ascended and descended, uh, look, there are a lot of theories on that, again if you do your work observation, interpretation, application uh, I'm confident that the Descended is not communicating uh, about Jesus going into hell or Hades, as some have said. Uh, I think it is far more likely that it is referencing something similar to what Philippians chapter two, verses six through 11 teach us in the incarnation of Christ, that Christ condescended himself from heaven to earth and walked on this earth in flesh, that he descended from the right hand of the Father, onto earth, the earthly things with us, and walked amongst us where that victory was won. In the context of this passage, we're talking about Christ's victory over death. And then ascended back to the right hand of the Father in order to fill, correct, right, reconcile the whole universe to himself better together is a gift regardless of how you interpret those passages maybe you see it differently than me the point here is that better together unity in the body of christ is a gift that christ has given us one by his victory on the cross that the church is one place where people can try can find true unity in a shared identity and purpose coming from completely different backgrounds and lifestyles. The church is one place that can break down the dividing wall of hostility that any man builds. Listen, this is not just an American problem. You go all across the world. I would encourage you, one of the best sermons I think ever preached here was like three years ago by a name, guy named Gordon Fort. He's a missionary. He tells us a story in that. If you just go to our web, go to our website and go to the archive and find Gordon Fort, He was a missionary in Africa and he talked about warring tribes where he was. And he talked about revival breaking out amongst these tribes. And people who would kill each other at a moment's notice just because they were from a different tribe now become unified in the gospel. He tells it in a way that just gives me chills and it's amazing the story that he tells. Because only the gospel can do that. So here's the, here's the great news. If the gospel can break down the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles, if the gospel can break down the dividing wall between Jews and Samaritans, if the gospel can break down the dividing wall between warring tribes in Africa, then listen to me, the gospel can break down the dividing wall between you and your family members and your neighbors and other people that don't have anything in common with you. Grew up entirely different than you. Of different ethnicities, of different socioeconomic or educational backgrounds. We all stand on level ground in one identity at the cross. Better Together is biblical. And lastly, Better Together builds the church. Verses 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, Uh, here where it says shepherds and teachers, it's communicated in Greek grammar that that's one idea. This is your pastors, your, your pastor teachers. These are gifts that God gave to the church. Now why did he give these gifts to the church? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. One, for the building up of the body of Christ as a result of that one. Until... So how long until we all, everybody say all, All. attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So not unity based on a football team, not unity based on a, a, a nationality, not unity based on any sort of cultural identifier. The unity here is based on the faith and knowledge, intimate relational knowledge of the Son of God unity built on the gospel to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes so church Christ in his victory over death shares the spoils of war with you, his children. Some of those gifts he gives you are your leaders in the church. But what is my job? When I read this, my job is to equip you to then do the work that builds the church. So here's what I ask for. I ask for Prayer ask for patience and ask for a willingness to attempt to do this together I I cannot carry this church on my shoulders and I've not been designed to God did not gift you with somebody to do that so we must do this together We must own this responsibility together. This is not something for some to do. This is something for all. If you are a member of this church or a member of any church, you have a responsibility and a role within that church. If you are not a member of a church where you take a responsibility and a role, you should become one. Being a member of the body is not what I'm talking about. When you become a child of God, you are a member of the body of Christ. But God has designed local churches as a gift for you to be a part of and submit yourself to. And I would challenge and encourage you to do this. That word equip can mean to right a broken bone or to mend a broken net we were talking this morning at our 845 prayer time about when, when you mend a broken bone, it requires physical therapy. And that physical therapy, it requires you to use every part of your body to exercise and mend that one broken part. And the other thing that you'll learn if you've never seen anyone go through that sort of rehabilitative process after a knee surgery or breaking a bone you have to exercise that area if you sit sedentary it won't heal correctly right if you go through knee surgery and knee replacement surgery then if you just sit there you'll end up worse off than you started it requires every part of your body to get up get out and exercise that so listen to me none of us should be walking this walk alone. This requires better together. So here's the picture. I've run out of time. I told you I wouldn't be able to preach this in one sermon. I don't think I can preach it in two either. Here's the picture for you. If you look at it in verse 16. From him the whole body joined and held together. By every joint, with which it is equipped. Listen, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When each part, so here's what we know theologically. We know theologically that if you are a child of God, saved, and redeemed, and adopted into the family, then you have been gifted spiritually and with that gift you have a role and a responsibility within the body of christ that role and responsibility is to be exercised within the gift of a local church and within that gift of that local church you are to be equipped mended to do the work of ministry That the way that this church grows up into love and maturity is when each of us play our role rightly. Now here's the beauty. There's grace. We're going to mess up. Some are going to choose to just sit in the pew. I will forever preach at you to stop doing that. I will never stop. I don't care how annoying it gets. I will annoy and stir you up to good works one day, hopefully through the power of the Holy Spirit. There, I know I'm over time, but be patient with me. It's, it's, uh, you may not know this is Pastor Appreciation Month. The only gift I ask is that you just let me finish this sermon. <laughs> let me finish this sermon. You'll be late. It'll be all right. You'll eat. This is so important to me. There, there's so much work to be done within this body and with outside of these walls. And it takes all of us. There's brokenness beyond what you can imagine just outside these walls. If If you were to venture and walk out of here and go get to know some people that live all in this community, you would find on both sides of this church, even though they seem like two different neighborhoods, they're both full of broken, messed up people that need the redeeming love of Jesus Christ. And it takes us. God wants us to go do that. Within this room right now, I know for a fact that there are people in here broken and desperate for someone to walk with them. But they don't know how to say that or seek that or do that. There are people with marriages that are just hanging on by a thread. There are people whose finances, they don't know how they're going to pay rent and pay their light bill. There are people that are questioning and doubting so much of what we talk about, and they want to believe, but there are questions and doubts. I I know for a fact, because I've talked with many of you, I'm not going to air your dirty laundry. I'm going to tell you, you can have a thousand counseling sessions with me, and it won't fix it. When each part when each part plays its role, we will build each other up in love. This is what the church can be. And if this passage were rightly applied, it, w- it would address every one of those needs. That is not an exaggeration. That's not preacher talk. That's not a fishing story or a preaching story. That is a fact that if the church lived this out, one, one, your life would be different. Two, everyone around you's life would be different. Three, we would not see churches dying all across this country. We would see revival if this were lived out. Let's pray. Lord, I so desperately want to see this play out. Lord, you've given us a gift of glimpses. Lord, I I know so many glimpses where I have seen this played out here. I don't I I repent if I have only portrayed a negative picture. Lord, I see what this could look like. What this could mean for the world. What this could mean for people in this room. Lord, it'll be messy and annoying and frustrating to live this out, but I'm praying, Lord, that you would give us the fortitude and the perseverance and the passion and the patience to, to do this, to, to, to be your body. Lord, I'm begging you. Pray. Amen. So